0: Is the third Thursday of the you know let's scratch that. It's the c- third c- Thursday of the month here on Monster Kid Radio, so we're going to call this Cthulhu Thursday Welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer Derek M. Cook. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio and welcome to the band The Necronomicon Kids. This is the song Apsunami. It appears on their self-titled album Necronomicon Kids. You can find them over at necronomiconkids.bandcamp.com. You're going to hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode, but if you can't wait, head over to their website, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a Lovecraft specific show and Long-time listeners of any of my podcasts know that I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. I love H.P. Lovecraft's work, and I love talking about Lovecraft, especially when I can roll it into talking about my favorite types of movies, classic monster movies and horror movies, that sort of thing. Well, recently here in Portland, Oregon, I was fortunate enough to be a panelist at the first annual Cthulhu Con. This happened at the end of April, and with the permission of the Cthulhu Con organizers and my fellow panelists... I recorded the panel, and I'm going to share it with you here on Monster Kid Radio. I'd like to see about maybe making every third Thursday. Scratch that. I'd like to see about making every k- third k- Thursday here on Monster Kid Radio, Lovecraft-themed at least for a little while, or maybe I'll make it a somewhat returning feature. I don't know, but there's a handful of Lovecraft-related topics that I think I can fit into the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, and I hope you guys and gals dig it as well. So we're going to play the panel that I was the moderator on. The name of the panel was Lovecraft Gets Hammered. And I'm just going to read to you from the website as well as the program, the description of the panel. Hammer Films released several classic horror and science fiction films in the 50s through the 70s. And while they're known for gothic horror films like The Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula... A number of their films also tread in familiar Lovecraftian territory, such as Nigel Neal's Quatermass series. Join this panel for a look at the Hammer films any Lovecraft fan will enjoy. Like I said, I was the moderator of the panel, and I was joined by panelists Kenneth Height, Scott Glancy, Kevin McTurk and Robin D. Laws. Now, Scott Glancy actually did not appear on the panel until the very, very end. And by the time he showed up, we started talking about some non hammer, but hammer in spirit type movies, including one that I'm going to be talking about with Scott Morris on the show in the very near future. So stay tuned for that. And you know what? Why don't we just dive into the panel right after this?
1: Ages ago, in a long-lost part of the world, the Mayans worshipped a terrifying goddess. To her, men offered their strength and their devotion. Women offered the beauty of their bodies. Altiki, the immortal monster. Today, courageous adventurers, dedicated scientists of both sexes, begin the exploration of recently discovered caverns buried in the
2: very womb of the Earth.
1: From space beyond space comes force beyond measurement energizing this monstrous mass of man eating protoplasm that devours every living thing it touches when her mate appears in the sky
3: the power of kaltiki will destroy the world you can believe what you like kaltiki's been reborn
1: Anything on this earth? Stop, Caldiki, the immortal monster.
4: beyond our own come the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story, presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today.
1: You believe in the power of darkness that's a superstition now there you are wrong the power of darkness is more than just a superstition it is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night why on one night of one year should these people live in mortal fear of Mendes, the devil himself. Christopher Lee as Richelieu, who knows he must fight the devil's power to the death. My God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex! Eyes, eyes, once filled with love, are consumed with fear, for Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is MacArthur, the Devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The Devil rides out from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's famous novel, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. Hurry oh, quickly! Back to back, join hands. You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face. So, welcome
0: to the panel Lovecraft Gets Hammered only really drinking water up here. The title actually refers to Hammer Films, which is a British film studio that made a lot of movies in the 30s up through the 70s. And They've had a few revitalization attempts over the years. They're actually doing stuff now, too. It's not the same thing, but they're still there. Um, before we get started, why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves? I'll start down here. Why right don't you tell us who you are and your favorite Hammer movie? Wow.
5: Man, on the spot. Uh, my name is Kevin McTurk, and I directed a short film that's playing, it's actually playing The Next Block. The Mill at Calder's End, and it's a gothic um, ghost story, very much inspired by Hammer. My love of Hammer films and Mario Bava films, and uh, uh, I got Barbara Steele to do a voice for it. And uh, I actually have a story of getting yelled at by Christopher Lee. I tried to get a voice from him and got yelled at. Him. Anyway, I made this film, and um, if you haven't seen it, played yesterday, but uh, it's playing at three o'clock as well. Uh, My name is Kenneth Height.
6: I'm a tabletop role-playing game designer, uh, most relevant in Trailer Cthulhu. Um, uh, I guess my hammeriest project now is the Dracula dossier, which is uh, in the final stages of being done for Nice Black Agents, in which you hunt down Dracula uh, in the modern era. Uh, A surprising amount of inspiration for the 1970s section of that Campaign's backstory comes out of Dracula 80 1972 yes. and Satanic Rights of Dracula. Which as I, I I watched them when I was a kid, and then I watched them again during this project, I was like, Oh my god, there's two movies about a secret British MI6 hunt for Dracula on the soil of London. Oh Lord. How the subconscious mind does work. Um, so my, my, my favorite hammer film of course is Terrence Fisher's Dracula. It's the only good Dracula virtually that's ever been filmed and he knocked it out of the park. Christopher Lee is obviously the consummate Dracula. And the hammer, you know, production design, the hammer quality, everything about Hammer is at its absolute best in that film. And uh, you know, it's kind of a shame that it happened so early, but on the other hand it's great that it happened
0: at all, right? <laughs> So, uh, I'm Derek M. Cook. I'm a podcaster. I produce the twice-weekly Monster Kid radio podcast where we talk about classic genre films. Talk a lot of uh, vampire films, war movies. I also co-produce a monthly Hammer Films podcast called 1951 Down Place where once a month we take a look at one of the movies from Hammer's Back catalog. Not just the horror stuff, but everything. We so even talk about things like the 1974 Man About the House. It's not that great. Uh, my favorite Hammer film today because it changes quite a bit is probably Revenge of Frankenstein, because I cannot get enough of Peter Cushing. Right. <laughs> <So, laughs> Peter Cushing, no, no
4: for Christopher Lee. Come on, Christopher Lee. Or he will eat you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Robin D. Loss. I'm a writer and a tabletop game designer. My Cthulhu-oriented credits include editing the anthology for Stone Skin Press called Shotguns v. Cthulhu. Uh, my short story collection, uh, New Tales of the Yellow Sign. And for the Trail of Cthulhu game line, I uh, designed the core rules engine and such uh, supplements as the Armitage Files and, uh, most recently, Dreamhounds of Paris, in which you play the uh, major figures of the Surrealist Movement in 1930s Paris as you discover your ability to manipulate the dreamlands. And that comes with a companion volume called Book of Ants. And my favorite Hammer film is The Devil Writes Out. Oh, yes.
0: uh, really good. So we've talked a little bit about Hammer, talking about the movies. Does everybody know what Hammer films is, or do we need to talk about that? About that work, we're we for good? Yeah. Cool. The one film? guy
6: who doesn't is like, no one kills
0: them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line, British Film Production Company made a lot of awesome movies, mostly known for the gothic horror films, like Dracula, the Frankenstein films, things like that. But they were active back in the 30s onward. And a couple of the movies that I wanted to talk about actually were Pre-Frankenstein, Pre-Curse of Frankenstein, which was their first big gothic horror film. Uh, I personally feel like there are a lot of Lovecraftian touchstones in a lot of Hammer films, but I have five on my list here. Um, and I guess maybe the first one on my list, and I'll just mention it and ask you guys what you think about it, 1955's The Quatermass Experiment, which is fantastic. It's one of their science fiction films before Curse of Frankenstein. So they're still trying to figure out what they wanted to do and, and find their niche. Um, they had done some sci-fi films prior to this. The Quatermass Experiment comes out. And it's based on the BBC teleplay written by Nigel Wienel. Now, do you have any experience with Quatermass outside of the films?
6: Yes. Yeah, yeah? Uh, because the uh, BBC ones are... Now they're on YouTube. Nice. Okay. Uh, a number of them are. Uh, I think the original Quatermass is still lost. But the, yeah. but the second one... Uh, the thing that became Quatermass on the Hill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Quatermass 4 that they didn't turn into the Quatermass 4 mm-hmm. movie thing, the one where they go to the secret base, mm-hmm. that is all, uh, on YouTube until so you can watch them in terrible, god-awful kinescope. Yeah. Uh, but you can see them and you can hear Nigel Neal's great dialogue. Yes. And i would also, of course, I got, you know, the, the, the Quatermass at the end with this dumb circle. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I've been trying quite a mass fan since forever it, it, it's virtually the only intellectual property that I would go through the nightmare of dealing with a licensor for wow. if I'm designing a game now there's that and maybe the X-Files are the only ones. but I did two Star Trek games back to back and that kind of cured me
4: and it's the so BBC so nightmare is the word yeah right <laughs> uh, but, And and that's part of a broader British tradition of the Mm alien-as-monster, which you see in everything from from the uh, Midwich Cuckoos, and uh, Children of the Damned, as it's known in in its film form, and of course Doctor Who. And I guess that's the thing that intersects most with Lovecraft, is the blend of science fiction and horror, because it turns out that a monster from outer space can menace you just as effectively as one from uh, a crypt or tomb.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask, was there also a radio drum station? Yeah, it was radio. I have heard that, too, and I, I, love, I just love any radio adaptation. And the scripts, I think, are, are,
6: or used to be in print. I don't think they're in print anymore, but they were available for, from Penguin for a brief
0: window in time. I think I've seen those. I don't yeah. own them, unfortunately, yeah. but, uh, Neil was a writer. He did some acting, voiceover work, and things like that, but he really found his home writing, and Hammer acquired the rights to Equator Max Experiment and brought Neil in to do some of the writing. And then Hammer promptly rewrote a lot of it and cast somebody that Neil did not like for the role of Equator a, a,
6: a chunky American.
0: <laughs> and this was common for Hammer back then, because back then Hammer didn't have the gothic look. So they would, with the with the production company they had, cast a cheap American actor that they could sell the film to the States with and usually be him. It was called The Creeping Unknown it was released here in the States because the Americans didn't know what Quatermass was. Um,
6: and in uh, Britain it was released as Quatermass Experiment with right. the X capital to, uh, market to uh, capitalize on the new X rating. Right. So okay. that people would think that it was uh, more salacious than it was. It actually looks like it's filmed at the bottom of an aquarium. It's not an attractive film by any stretch of the imagination.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I come to it and it was shot in a very documentary-like style for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed that approach. But yeah, in terms of the equator mass films, you can't help but compare this to the last one they you know, yeah. did, which is full
6: color, wide, huge, and beautiful. So. And, or even, the, you know, if you come to it and you think, oh great, a hammer film, all the science fiction, you're going to be direly disappointed yeah. because it doesn't have the hammer lushness and the hammer technicolor look. It, it's not a handsome film, but it's really interesting because it presents the very Lovecraftian act of learning more about the universe as a dangerous, nearly <laughs> suicidal act. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the monster has been dispatched, uh, or, or dealt with, Quatermass's next job is he's going to rebuild the rocket and do it again. It's, and that is the great thing about Quatermass, is that he's literally incapable of learning wisdom. He can only <laughs> a, 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 attain facts. And he is he's is, he is just a compellingly broken human being because it is implied in the state of kind of outright in the last 20th sequence mm-hmm. that he, his devotion to knowledge has destroyed his ability to be a human being, which is so
0: Lovecraftian at Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Quatermass character, and I know that Don Levy gets a lot of grief for yeah. his portrayal of the film. I kind of like him as, as Quatermass in this movie, not because I think he's a proper English hero, because uh, he's not, but he seems to bring a, a touch of Howardian, I guess, heroism, in uh-huh. his little crafty style story. I'm a huge fan of Robert e. Howard, so i like to have that in there as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically his pursuit of science. I mean, his expensive all It doesn't matter who gets killed, who comes back, you know, from outer space with something inside him that devoured the other astronauts in the book. Has everybody seen the Quatermass experiment? No? I would highly recommend it.
6: Spoilers, the experiment goes badly.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have any thoughts the Quatermass experiment? Um, I love Brian Donnelly, but he is uh, not cast as his best, as a uh, unrelenting scientific figure. If you want to see him doing his thing, you'd want to more look at uh, the Glass Key or some of the Preston Sturges, Just going to be After
0: After the Quaterniss experiment, it did really well. Hammer wanted to do a follow-up, but Jamil said no, because he hated Brian Dunlap. He didn't like what happened to the film. Well, Hammer decided to move on anyway and created a new character for a movie called X The Unknown the next year, in 1956. They brought in another American to play the, the lead scientist in that, and it's not as science-y, I suppose, or Lovecraftian as Quatermass, but I still feel like it's worth mentioning. you talking a little bit about uh, Dean Jagger played Dr. Adam Royston in that film. He's this pudgy scientist American guy and gets involved in this X the unknown thing going on. It's, it's, it's a little more vague than I say the Quatermass quater Yeah, because, I mean,
6: again, they're not working for Neil, so th- right. they have sort of the unfocused desire to write Quatermass without Quatermass, which is mm-hmm. kind of difficult.
7: Yeah. Have you seen
6: it? I mean, I, I've seen it because I've, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with mass, but it's it's like, you know, reading August or Left. You know, you're... Uh, my, my wife is fond of saying there's, there's nothing wrong with drinking a fifth of vodka when the methadone clinic is closed, and I think that that's... <laughs> That's very much uh, what the X of the Unknown is for me, is the methadone of Quator Quatermass has been shut off, or that the heroin of Quatermass has been shut off, and I'm down there drinking a fifth of vodka. And pretending. <laughs> it's
0: a really good way to put it. Yeah, they brought Jimmy Sankster in to write the movie, and I think probably the most notable thing about that is that this was one of his earlier uh, screenplay, screenwriting assignments for Hammer, and Jimmy Sankster would go on and do a number of classic Hammer stuff. I mean, he's associated with the Hammer brand for a reason. Now, know, comes back. For Quater mass 2 with the condition that he gets to have a little bit more input on the script and i think it's a marked difference from the first film because of that uh, it's a lot more i think the medicine a little bit more salt in Quatermass mass 2 which is also known as enemy from space by uh, here in the states brian donnelly does come back to play Quatermass in this one much to major rules this morning. I prefer the Quatermass experience
6: to the Quatermass 2 film. What about you guys? I, I think, I mean, you're right. I, I like that Neil comes back, but the every time I think about the Dunleavy Quatermasses, the only ones I ever, you know, call to mind immediately are the first ones, yeah. right, not the second stuff. So. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. It's just nowhere near as good as 1-3. Right. Right? Yeah. It's like Star Trek IV. It's like, well, all right, I guess. But it's no <laughs> rapid <to> calm. <come.
7: laughs> What is it? Exactly. I, mean, really? yeah.
0: I, I like the personal. Yes. Yeah. Are there any Lovecraftian themes that you think turn up in these movies that we. And I know I'm going very fast a very high level here, but what are we seeing here when we see these movies? Are there some Lovecraftian elements that maybe aren't directly on the surface here?
4: Well, I think they, they are on the surface, as Ken that okay. It's about. Uh, the dangers of acquiring knowledge and the idea of the menace as being elsewhere in the cosmos. It's coming at you. And uh that is uh, distinguishes uh Lovecraft's uh vision from the earlier Gothic and we're about to see Hammer go into the Gothic yeah. and it's a particular uh it's not a surprise that there are no uh really explicitly Lovecraftian adaptations in the Hammer Over because there's two um, there's sort of two phases of Hammer Horror, and they basically skip from one to the other, and Lovecraft would be in the middle of those two. So it starts off being uh, the Gothic, uh, which is the material that sort of precedes Lovecraft's uh, view. He modernized and Americanized the Gothic, and of course Hammer uh, has one thing going against it uh, in terms of ever having done a Lovecraft story, which is that it's fundamentally English, um, and also that its first phase is the sort of lush, beautiful period recreation that Ken was alluding to. And then, all of a sudden, swinging 60s here. Yeah. So it goes from the Gothic to the 1960s with no room for uh, Lovecraft's sort of anachronistic uh, blend of a 19th century sensibility with the clash of modernity in the, in the 30s and 40s. How awesome are you going to think of well, I, that's what I'm, I would like to propose, is that since actual Hammer Lovecraft a- adaptations are thin on the ground, but we are writers and creative people, I thought that we could take a little bit of time in the panel to make some up. Uh, so I, I was trying to think of what what would have been the ideal Lovecraft story to do uh, as a Hammer film during their first phase, uh, which, and so the requirements for that would have to be you uh, couldn't require the sort of special effects that you would have today and, and you can't do a CGI Hulu obviously in hand bells. films um, so one that comes to mind uh, would be uh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward Yeah, um, and that one you can uh, because there's not much there's weird people down in holes that's, that's easy to do with 60s technology he <laughs> uh, turns to dust at the end so that's pretty easy to do um, and who would you, who would you cast in the film? So, uh, Christopher Lee's a little too old to, uh, be ward slash crew But Oliver Reed at that point was, uh, young, young and virile, but also, uh, had this, he could do the menacing part of it. And now, uh, you could get Cushing to do, uh, Willette, the guy who uh, tracks in Danville. And, uh, you could have some great sort of atmospheric stuff with the, uh, exploration of his vault, with all the holes in the ground and so forth. The only drawback of that is that uh, Roger Corman also, also did that. Also did in him. the same way. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so you already have the Haunted Palace. Right. So
6: the urgency for an Oliver Reed uh, text reward goes a little bit...
4: Unfortunately. So I guess now we have to go to Thing and Thorsten, because the other thing that's almost always missing from Lovecraft and almost always present in Hammer are Glamorous roles for the actresses. Cleavage. If we wish to be reductive. <laughs> hey, have it. Have to hammer. I'm not saying there's no cleavage in Hammer. <laughs> um, so I was thinking the thing on the doorstep uh, would then, because uh, Christopher Lee could play the uh, lead character in uh, Thing on the Doorstep and then you can have uh, uh, Cushing investigating. And, uh, you could have... Ingrid uh, Pitt, as, as I in- Ingrid Pitt, or, uh, well, or, or, Martine Beswick, if you to go a little further. I and write yeah. So, uh, I, I'm... Claudia any... Cardinale,
6: actually, that's kind of her era. Maybe they could have brought her over from Italy, or
4: Perhaps so. so yeah. Does anybody else want to pitch a, uh, a Lovecraft movie to Hammer in the late 60s or something?
6: Well, I think that you're, you know, missing the one that actually occurs in an English Gothic house, which is to say Rats in the Walls. Right? You and that's dirt cheap to film because it's mostly one guy going crazy and then at the end, you know, Cushing shows up as uh, the investigator, um uh, the, the, the uh, what, what's the name, the uh, the archaeologist, um, who shows up to investigate with the psychic who immediately faints and is useless. And you could uh, bring a girl in there or you could have a girl uh, with the the is has married a, a, a British girl and that's how he's gotten the house. And so his, you know, his curse is, you know, coming back to defeat him and she's trying to either get him away or get him into the depths depending on how you cast it, I assume. But again, there's, the special effects are nothing more than scratching for most of it and although Hammer's probably not going to build the entire subterranean city <laughs> underneath the, the, the uh, Delapore mansion, um you can probably still run to a couple of ruined temples and, uh, and, and uh, scattered inhuman corpses without breaking the hammer uh, bank too, too badly. I, I think the Rats in the Walls would be good because so much of it would depend on set design, uh, and that's one of the hammer strikes. Right. Right? So I, I think that a, a good Rats in the Walls with a, a neurotic British actor, of which they are not ever short-supplied...
4: Uh, um, Michael, is, is Michael Gabb? too old?
6: I mean, I, I don't think uh, you necessarily... Because Delaporte is an older man. His right. uh, son dies in World War One. So, um, I, I think you can
0: cast uh, Michael Gow you, uh, you can cast any number of people yeah I was going to go grab some balls as well because it, it is uh, and you mentioned the pro- production design which is something I haven't considered but Bernard Robinson is the production designer for so many Hammer films and I mean, you see a movie with his, his set work and everything that he did and he, so he brings so much, a lot of what he did with these Hammer films, he brings basically a character to the table with the sets and everything that he did with those films and all uh, I think it would be great to see something he did. Um, Look, Raffi, you know, Raffi will also be
6: great. It it would actually have been nice to have seen a stab at Dreams of the Witch House that was not Curse the Crimson Altar. See,
0: I kind of like that one. I mean, I I
6: admire some of the Curse the Crimson Altar, but by and large, it really is a movie about uh, Boris Karloff trying to find a way out of the movie.
7: (laughs) I mean,
6: that's the one on Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, again, I am I am not going to sit in judgment on anyone's movie collection. Trust me. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I would have been better to see *A Curse of Dreams of the Witch House* that had been written by Sangster and directed by Fisher. Oh. Man. Right. I mean, at the absolute yeah. high point of their quality. Because again, one of the great things that Sangster and Fisher were able to do is meld the Christian imagery. <laughs> With the horror imagery in an effective way that a lot of filmmakers can't do. And one of the, you know, controversial bits of Dreams of the Witch House is that uh, Gilman supposedly drives Kaziah Mason away with the crucifix. Although, actually, if you read the story, that that isn't what happens. He winds up strangling her to death with a chain of it. The crucifix is just an inert piece of tin. But I think Sangster and Fisher, with their ability to drill into the core material and draw out religious significance, they could have actually done something that is almost impossible to do with Lovecraft, which is add another philosophical yeah. dimension to the material.
0: Terrence Fisher always took this approach to his movies. He always called the movies he made fairy tales for adults. And if you look at a lot of his movies, you'll see this kind of weird fairy tale quality to a lot of movies that he did. And I think if he brought something like that to Dream to the Witch House, it'd be amazing.
6: And again, you don't need anything except the weird you know, light effects and
5: glowing lights mm-hmm. and the little rat guy. Yeah. That's true. I was just thinking about uh, rats in the wall would be a great choice because just when you start to think about the sixty, you know, fifties and sixties, and trying to translate elder gods, I, I can't think of. You know, it becomes uh, it's a tough road because the what was cursed the demon mm-hmm. was about the closest they could get to like a big creature, and it, it does look like a Godzilla suit, but um, you know, the, the story is so good. That, Mm-hmm. Not, things, not Hammer, but, uh, but just yeah, thinking of Elder Gods translating to, to 60s creatures is a tough sell.
0: I mean, yeah. they, they did some stuff with stuff. They worked with Harry House on one of their films and things like that, so they might know that well, but I would rather see it something smaller, people with house Rats and the wall, something like mm-hmm. that, a little bit more intimate. Because a lot of the Hammer product, pre-the Gothic stuff, it was a cast of three or four guys in one location, and mm-hmm. these movies were amazing. I think they could really pull it off. kind of addressed what they were. Yep. You know, put on the red of uh, Yep. Awesome. Now I want a time machine and a Kickstarter to to make
4: some of these movies. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ken
0: already has a time machine. Yes. Oh, right on, way there. You can do Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Awesome. So we're
6: good. <laughs> we just have to get Ingrid Pitt's uh, number for reasons. <laughs> 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 for reasons. not call Christopher Lena.
0: <laughs> I have a couple other movies here on, on my notes here uh, that I just want to touch on briefly. Uh, 57 Hammer also did a movie called The Abominable Snowman. It's also called The Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas, starring Peter Cushing and fresh from F Troop, Horace Tucker. <laughs> uh, again, cast in so the Americans will watch the movie. This one, again, is written by Nigel Neal, and it's about them tracking what they think is a Yeti or a Bigfoot type character. But it's so much more than going after a giant ape-like thing in the, in the mountains. And there are a lot of things in this movie... I almost feel like this is more a crap than the other ones that I've mentioned so far because of some of the things they play with in this film. I have a, a quote I wanted to read from Bruce G. Hellenbeck's book, British Film Cinema, Hammer, Fantasy, and Sci-Fi. The Yeti, the meal story, are a parallel evolutionary strain, a kind of forlorn Simeon, an offshoot of humanity, who live in glorious isolation in cold old wastes, waiting for the human race to die out so they can inherit the Earth. Neil used the tale to advance his ideas about mankind's greed, violence, propensity for destruction, elements of the work of the American fanaticist, or excuse me, fantasist, H.P. Lovecraft, fanaticist. <laughs> <laughs> blah yeah, really. Six of <laughs> one? Yeah. 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 Lovecraft were also in we play, especially in his 1931 on the mountains of that
7: so. Any thoughts on that movie, race?
6: Seen oh, I, I, I've seen that movie once, and it—I remember it being, you know, depending on how you are feeling when you're watching it, it's either the master of the slow build, mm-hmm. or it is, you know, almost soporific. And I think it just may really depend on how big a dinner you had before you watched it. At that <laughs> but I—I I, I remember getting through it and liking it because it's Neil, and because of what you talked about, but thinking my lord, did this need an editor or or a score or something to just, you know, perk it up because it's a very hard thing to do is to film one or two characters in an empty wasteland losing it without it feeling like you're in an empty wasteland with two characters. And I, you know, I, Again, it, it may be the thing where a rewatch is the, is the cure for it, but it may be the thing where just, the pacing, I, I just don't... to say, the up.
4: pacing of certain Hammer films, it's a, a, a mixed bag commander There are things I bounce off of, including the, the mummy, I think, is yeah. watchably slow. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it in terms of... Uh, because a, a lot of Hammer is about mood and tone, uh, but uh, sometimes... There's just nothing advancing. There's just, right, long, long shots. And, um, it's something you see crop up again in like 70s cinema where all of a sudden everyone's on Quailies and Roger Moore walking across the room and live and let die is, you know, a two minute process. But there's, uh, some of those, uh, early hammer films, I have to admit, uh, I bounce off of because of the pacing. I
0: think Valdez, who was the director of that one specifically, He's kind of hit and miss for me as a director because of the pacing issues we're talking about. Sometimes his pacing is a little ponderous, is slow. Sometimes it's firing in all cylinders. Like I love his direction in the Quivermints films, but yeah, I can see where he's coming from. I,
5: I love this film because I, I just I'm such a Cushing fan, yeah. and uh, he's so compelling. I can watch him you know, just do dishes, and but uh, and a, movie, movie. Exactly, <laughs> I love that stuff, and uh, I just love expedition films. So it's kind of a, For me, I I do see it be it's kind of a slow-paced film, but it's still worthwhile if you haven't seen it.
0: The thing about Peter Cushing movies, and he does it in this one a lot, watch him, especially in the Hammer films. He's always doing something with his hands. They actually started nicknaming him Hot Props Cushing. Because even if it wasn't in the script, he would find something to do in the scene to keep busy, some sort of business. There's a scene in the Snowman film where they're just having a conversation and just randomly he pulls a animal's teeth out of his pocket It starts filing it and buffing it while he's having this conversation. Not, not in the script at all. It has nothing to do with anything going on in the story, but he's still doing something. So that's a little fun drinking game to play, maybe, with Peter Cushing movies. <laughs> just watch his hands. He's always done um, inside. The last one on my list is, of course, the other Quatermass film. Quatermass in the Pit, also known as 5 million miles to Earth. 5 million years to Earth. Oh, uh, excuse me, years to Earth, excuse me. And again, <coughs> it's Quatermass. Hard to go wrong.
6: This, this is the best yeah. of the Quatermass films by a long chalk. And it's not just because it's in color and it's pretty. It's also because the script is, I think, even for Neil, it, it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. This is one of my two or three favorite Neil things that he's ever done in his whole career. Uh, and what I love about it, specifically in a Lovecraftian context, is it combines the alien horror with Lovecraftian deep time. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I, I don't want to spoil it, but you sort of have to do a little setup to understand how great this movie is. So they're digging around underneath uh, a, an abandoned subway station, and they find something they think is an unexploded Nazi bomb from the war. And so they close it off, and the military comes in, and they keep digging and know it's a crashed UFO. But it's a crashed UFO from 5 million years ago. And it turns out, as they're digging this, they're simultaneously archaeologically investigating the history of the part of London that it's under. And it turns out that part of London has had more than its share of murders and riots and ghost sightings, and it's all because of the dire psychic influence of this UFO that's been crafted in part of London. So far, so good. Just a big of house movie. Then, the big reveal, the UFO is from Mars, and the Martians um, uh, basically, that survived, became humanity, and they brought nothing but hatred and racism and terror from the planet Mars and seeded it into humanity. And so everything that is wrong on Earth was done before we were even created and is inescapable. And the only thing that happens that you can do with that bot, with that the UFO, is by waking it up, they sort of accelerated the already natural process of our own destruction. It is so bleaking and so cosmic and so just... It, it's amazing that that, that that script even got written, much less that it got greenlit. Because None of it is positive or uplifting in any way. It's just a... It's like Thomas Ligotti wrote a UFO movie. <laughs> it's so good. And of course, you know, the, the, the casting is better. I'm sure. Their, their, their quater is, is much better. He actually feels like quater for the first time in the films. And the whole bit where he's just railing against the ignorant military, but he's simply recapitulating the Martian program that's in him just like it's in everybody. Such a great movie.
4: Well, the, the British sensibility is much more oriented towards everything being uh, oh. in, inextricably screwed. Yes. And uh, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, even an independent American film that would allow that level of bleakness. There would have to be, you know, some sort of square up at the end. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why we need the Brits as a uh, counterbalance to you guys. Yeah. I love the very last shot
0: in this film, and it's just Quatermass, played by Andrew here and uh, the female assistant Barbara Jo, played by uh, Barbara Shelley, and they just look, they look like they put, put through hell. They're just worn out, they fail to the sanity check somewhere, they're just not broken up, And I just love that shot because of the capital, it's this whole bleakness of the film. It's, it's fantastic. It's really one of the best.
6: Uh, I just wanted to comment I watched that two days ago oh, yeah. on YouTube it is on YouTube as in the pit. I don't know how long it's going to stay there sure but in there in its entirety in HD check it out watched it two days ago awesome movie
0: if one people haven't seen any of the movies we're talking about here that's the one I would recommend you yeah. guys check it Yeah. it's so good it's also got an awesome Blu-ray release on the UK
6: and it's the most Lovecraftian I
0: think of all of them yeah I still think of all the movies yeah
7: in the topography sense I think it's a lot Here's a country that was put to hell during the war. Well, they won, quote unquote, the war, but they lost empire and the country was in ruins financially. For, for decades, I think that when you're talking about the British sensibility, that's just what they were going through. Uh,
6: Replaced it in the hill. Well, I mean, there's a reason that you know the British creative arts are always good during times of plague and destruction. I mean, that's. You know that, that's why all, all of Shakespeare's best stuff was written during plague years. And
4: like Godzilla, it's not even a metaphor that they think it's a Nazi bomb. It's, that, that's that's not subtext. That's that's, that's subtext, text. Subtext. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
6: But that you know, it in a way it is because it's these alien devil ant creatures that are responsible for Nazism and British ignorance and everything. It's just so it, it's it's just a magnificent piece of deep time and cosmic thinking and. Cosmicism is very rare in the film, which is weird because you'd think it'd be a natural for it, but, uh, but yeah. Greater Mass in the Pit, 5 million years to Earth, just nails it. And it's, it, it's just, um, uh, it, and it's weird because the director wasn't actually very good.
0: Yeah, Roy, Roy, Roy Ward Baker was the director of that, and he was one of these, you know, director guys for Hammer, you know, kind of a utilitarian director. A yeah, he, he didn't bring a lot of style, I think, to the table, like Terrence Fisher or whatever, even about a or sangster. So.
6: it's it's just uh, it it's entirely a, a tribute to the to the script yeah. and to a lesser extent the casting. Yeah, that
0: was instead of the performance. Uh, Andrew Kerr is amazing, it's clear. Yes. He's So those are the five movies that I, I wanted to talk about briefly. Are there any
4: movies that I didn't mention that you guys want? I'd like to talk a little bit about the one I mentioned before which oh, is Devil rides Out. it's a great uh, now of course as an HP Lovecraft film it's a much better Dennis Wheatley adaptation because that's what it is sure uh, but especially if you're coming to Lovecraft through uh, gaming and the idea of you know the group of investigators uh, facing an occult threat that's one of the you know there's been tons of examples you know now in our nerd Renaissance and on television where you see that but it's one of the very first early, Filmic adaptations of that it has that great sense of a team working against supernatural forces, and so if you want to adapt that, all you got to do is you know strike out the satanic stuff and uh, add the level of uh, cosmic horror. Uh, and there's some, just something weirdly magical about that film that is uh, better than the sum of its parts. Or something yeah. it has uh, it, the films that I remember and come back to year after year, whether they're genre films or or something else, always have that sort of. Mysterious, inexplicable quality to them that makes them magical. You can't really explain why because there's, you know, all sorts of other films that look like that and have Christopher Lee in it and, uh, you know, it's well-paced and everything, but there's just some little extra quality about that that, uh, you know, transcends the source material and, and, and the, the nine dollar budget. And the nine dollar yeah. budget. Uh, I can't explain why that is, but there's just something magical about that film. Well, Chris
0: really is a good guy, too, which, I mean, makes it kind of stand yes. out from a lot of, of Hammer's um, output at the
6: time. Charles Gray is uh, Moncada, the, the bad guy, and yeah. he is great. And very
5: Blofeld. He's just yeah. magic Blofeld. Yeah. Right. And he's received the guy from Rocky Horror. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that film is just fantastic. I love Devil's Ride Rides Out because uh, it just has that layer of reality, and then just behind it is, is all the satanic stuff happening. So this some of those That's a great poem. I watched it uh
6: for the first time on a TV that used to belong to Clive Parker.
5: Can I make the movie better?
4: Or... Oh yeah. Okay. Everything's
7: better. If you're
4: watching it on Clive Parker's TV, your life is better. Okay. <laughs> and the uh the image DVD has a commentary track from Christopher Lee on it. Oh, yeah. on it. One of the uh, most fun commentary tracks because he's really dishing and he has a you know, crystal clear memory of everything, and it's just really great to listen to. So that's just as entertaining Although, as although it. other
6: people have said that Christopher Lee has a number of crystal
4: clear memories of things that never happened. Right. <laughs> well, he's, he's no Brian Blessed. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Blue ray release, The Devil Writes Out, they redid the, you know, the final scene. Have you seen that? I uh, don't know, I haven't. They, they kind of special editioned it with the whole sky and all that, and redid it. And they didn't need it.
6: The, um, uh, the 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 Hammer film that I would adduce, although Quatermaster Pitt was my you know go to for this, would be the Gorgon, which is kind of a small, slower film. Uh, it's not. I mean, it, it. You talk about your pacing; it, it needs work on that front. But it takes place in sort of a a decrepit English mansion, so it's got that going for it. And it's basically the story of a guy who went to India. And his, I think it's his son, got infected by a snake monster, by the Gorgon. And now they keep him locked up in the back room. And every now and again, the guy has to feed travelers to him or else he'll lose his son. And it has that human component that very little Lovecraft has, with the exception of the thing of doorstep. But it's very much a Innsmouth movie. If you think about, you know, the in shadow of Innsmouth where the certain houses had to take on Borders part and the notion that you go into this strange place and a pact has been made within humanity that you were not party to, but nonetheless you are a victim of. And so there's a very insmithy, it's more of human quality Lovecraft that you don't see as often in Lovecraft even. Um, but I think is more susceptible to filmmaking. Uh, and I, I, I look at The Gorgon and I think that, that is like almost, it, you, you can imagine that being based on a Lovecraft revision story, right? Not on a pure Lovecraft, but maybe on, a less racist version of Medusa's Coil, or uh, something like that. It, it's sort of that low bar, and th- it reminds you that Lovecraft could have turned out perfectly adequate character horror if he wanted to. He just n- didn't want to. And, and and so when you when you watch it like the Gorgon, I, I always think that that you know it, it's sort of a shame we talk about our fictional Lovecraft film. We never got uh, you know a bunch of Hammer sequels about people, and so they had to start writing their own stories. <laughs> Because uh, I think that would have been a good sort of, you know, Curse of Yig type hammer story. Now it's
4: also very interesting, and I guess the comparison to a, you know, third drawer Lovecraft is uh, apt because it's also structurally destabilizing in that you are never sure who the protagonist is. It switches protagonists about every 20 minutes. Yeah. You don't know, uh, and uh, forget about having a sympathetic, you know, it, there's no sympathetic focus figure, and uh, the who, who do you think is going to be the hero? Who's saving the day? It's just, the film just continues to mutate and shed its skin throughout the, the course of, uh, and it's, uh, you know, leaves you sort of, uh, adrift. I think more kind of accidentally than, say, Psycho does, which very yeah. deliberately switches protagonists on you. And this, uh, isn't even necessarily even doing it deliberately. So it may be a case of something that is, you know, technically, uh, bad writing that is nonetheless increases a sense of unease because you're just, not moored in you know what am I supposed to hope <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. where's where's the where's the happy ending from here <laughs> or more ending like just even you know, where's this going at yeah, all right
6: yeah no I, I think you I think you're very much right and I think it was you know sort of an accidental yeah, effect I can't <laughs> imagine that they sat and said what we really need to do is just film this as a series of shambolic you know, intercut scenes and right. figure out what
4: happens or, later. Or in the it's end. like a role-playing session where half the players leave in the middle. Yeah. And <laughs> you bring a new group in and you yeah. recap it for them. Yeah, it's,
7: it, but
6: it's, yeah, my wife really didn't like it and she's generally a, a fan of Hammer and, and she thought that it was bad in all the ways that it is bad. But I, I just see something in it and in the final reveal and in the sort of you know, no one is sympathetic, but everyone is tragic.
4: Yeah. Movie. It's, it's definitely a, a weird film in the sense, not just that it's the weird genre, but it is weirdly vain. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the only intention they had was, let's come up with a new kind of monster. We've run out of, you yeah. know, we've done, we're, we've used Dracula's a hundred times and the mummies and let's, let's come up with a new thing out of mythology that will mm-hmm. scare people. And, well, they didn't do that, but they made something interesting and odd. Mm-hmm.
0: I see a little, I don't know, have you seen Stranglers from Bombay okay. in mm-hmm. It's based on, um, well, it takes inspiration from the Strangler, uh, the cult of Stranglers. The, you know? the thuggy. Yes, thing. exactly. So I might see a little bit in there, but I think the board is probably a little bit more. In
6: and it's got the same, you know, it, it's, it's about, the... it's about anything, it's about the uh, wages of colonialism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's flawlessly, you know, um, uh, British,
0: self-fledged. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, Probably need to start wrapping up. Any questions from anybody? Yeah. Uh, you, in the back first. Have you uh,
6: seen Horror Express? Express? That's the movie that Scott Glancy would be shrieking and panging his meaty arms on the table about. Yeah. It's Horror oh, Express. It's not Hammer, yeah, it's not Hammer yeah,
0: but, but it's awesome. But it's
6: yeah, it feels like it's sort of... It's in that, you know, almost Hammer genre, like some of the Amicus stuff is. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's yeah but, but that is... Scott would be, you know, just... Gibbering in his chair, <laughs> insisting he'd be allowed to talk about Horror Express. He loves that movie more than life itself. And if you looked at the D twenty call of Cthulhu book where he gives all the little ways that you can, you know, tie uh Cthulhu into various movies. Is that in there? Horror Express is in there, you know, quite a place beautiful gems. <laughs> so yeah, Scott would be very glad that you brought that up.
0: It's a great film, the Blu-ray is amazing. There's a Blu-ray that came out a few years ago that's just been fantastic.
6: Yeah. Now again, don't be fooled when we say great film into thinking it's actually a great film. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's a, it's a mess. But it is an exciting mess in which something is always about to happen.
0: How about you're going and, to have a great time watching it? Yeah, if you're the kind of person
6: who goes into deep hammer cuts, you are going to very much enjoy horror yes. that. Yeah. But, you know, don't be thinking, oh, this is, you know, the next haunting of Hill House. No, no it's not. No. It's not that. New. But but on the other hand, it's not the Jandabon remake of a haunting, either. So you got that. Hey,
0: we're joined by Scott Lassie. Three minutes before the panel's over. How you doing, sir?
6: (laughs) Scott would you care to dilate uh, or divagate on Horror Express? Uh, has it not out. been touched on? Did you save that? A, a, a nice man brought it up with the audience and I told him that he uh, had your blessing in heaven from that. But now that you're actually here I figured you'd want to hear your spittle well, fleck rant on the topic. Uh,
7: <laughs> the thing about uh, well he says the panel is hammered. Uh, yeah but we're allowing it. Yeah well, we're still allowing It's it. so late it's, now. it's irregular
4: but we've allowed it. Alright. Um,
7: and it does help that it has Chris Lee and Peter Cushing and that's all. Um, yeah, uh, for those of you, hands, show of hands. Horror Express, anyone seen it? Well, most. There's only a few naysayers out there amongst the faithful. Um, horror Express is one of the most astounding bits of cosmic horror I've ever seen turned on the screen. They actually got that shit right. It's uh, an astounding bit of, of uh, you know, an uncaring, unfeeling universe with an antagonist who clearly does not give a fuck. Its plan has zero to do with these apes wandering around on the Trans Hyper Express. All it wants to do is be put of this shitty little third world toilet it's found itself on for the last what billion years it's been stuck here on Earth and be done with us. And the amazing way that this thing unfolds, uh, where you start off the film and you're like, oh, the problem is a Mummified ape man has been brought to life and is killing the train passengers. That seems like a predicament, One that, you know. But but if there's a point where yeah, I'm watching it with my friend uh, Blair Reynolds, a well-known artist and cultist, and he's digging on the film. He's loving it. He'd never seen it before, and I turn him in. You know that part where the, the reanimated uh, monkey fossil was murdering everyone on the train? Those are the salad days of this. Right? It's, it's, it was it never going to be that good again. It's ne- everything's going to be worse from there on out. That is actually, you know, the, the good times you to look back on. And by the time you get to the whole horde of reanimated Tully Savalas Cossacks, who were working their way through the train with glowing red eyes, hacking the passengers to death, he turned to go, yeah, right. <laughs> I missed the monkey man. You know, so. <laughs> we really had the situation under control when it was not a trainload of zombies. Heading for a <laughs> cliff. Just to dial it up to 11. Yes, we're on a train full of Mariana and Tony Zavallis, and it's heading towards a giant cliff. Alright, it's a, you know, minor of transit cliff. We're gonna, we're gonna allow that too. Um, uh, Tara Express is an astounding little, uh, uh cosmic horror film,
0: and yet, uh, there's Chris Lee, and there's Peter Cushing. My favorite <laughs> bit in this film is when Peter Cushing and Chris Lee are accused of being the killers, the monsters. And Cushing looks at the investigator and said, we're not monsters,
7: we're British. I love that moment. That <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Lee rarely gets to play sort of the, the, the heroic protagonist, although even so, he's a corals kind of jerk. Sure. You know, during the course of it. Except for maybe when Double Rides Out would be... Which we right. um, Where he gets to be the uh, Comte de another Yes, yes. Um, He's a... He's <laughs> there's another movie
0: called nothing but the night that he's in uh, that he plays a police investigator investigating some creepy thing going on with these kids and all that cushing is wrong as an expert i would recommend you check that one out on my kind. this is really his hero not as good as the other right now War express but i find fascinating
7: uh,
6: I wanna, our, our time guy is making gestures it's so. clear there's no
0: uh, time for five uh, uh, we, we, yes. we okay. do have to wrap up um more express awesome the movies are awesome, so somebody might get your But there are so many great Hammer films out there, guys. And if you haven't seen them, especially Quatermass in the Pit, holy yeah. crap.
6: That's the one. That's your takeaway from this. Go see Quatermass in the Pit. Watch all the Quatermass stuff on YouTube. Find uh, the, the last Quatermass, which is Angry at Hippies and Love Stone Circles. <laughs> 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 it's such a good movie. Um, uh, they, they're all they're,
7: oh, so good. Quatermass if you the Man. And if you can find the original TV... Yeah, they're on YouTube. A lot of them are on YouTube. Some of yeah. them are awesome. um, but they're amazing, well, especially the the stuff that was the live. Published. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the amount of gymnastics that was went through to try and make a live science fiction epic uh, is pretty
0: amazing. The endings are completely different from the TV version and the Critter Mass Experiment. He basically bought on but it's very different than TV Uh Yes, the
7: Critter in uh, Critter Mass Experiment and movie is quite awesome. Yes, for its day, it is quite yeah non including R. All right.
0: All right, guys. Thank you very much. <clears throat> thank you. Big thanks to my fellow panelists, Kenneth, Scott, Kevin, and Robin. It was awesome to share some panel time with you guys, and I loved... The topic, the idea, the question that Robin posed, where we did kind of a fantasy casting of what kind of a Lovecraftian adaptation Hammer could have maybe put together. That was a lot of fun, and I wish I had thought of it. So thank you to the panelists. Thank you to Brian and Gwen for organizing the CthulhuCon and having me there as a panelist. I do plan on attending the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in October here in Portland. It's the 20th annual HP Lovecraft Film Festival. I can't miss that. The 20th annual. Now, I haven't been going to all of them, but pretty much every one that's happened in Portland since I've moved here, I've attended. The very first year, I didn't go, and I regret that, but I was still kind of getting my bearing on the Portland area. Now that I'm here, I consider myself a lurker. I go to that theater. I go to the festival every chance I get. I'm looking forward to this October going to be a lot of fun. You can find out more about the CthulhuCon over at CthulhuCon.com or look up HPL dot or follow the link in the show notes over at MonsterKidRadio.net
3: This is the story of Dracula a creature who destroys all whom he touches Dracula the terrifying the feared who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night To inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise.
1: this is not lucy the sister you loved it's
3: only a shell possessed and corrupted by the evil of dracula how do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims
1: castle dracula is summoned here in Klausenburg. will you tell me how i get there you ordered a meal sir as an innkeeper it's my duty to serve you when you've eaten i ask you to go and leave us in peace
3: This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved. The girl who is his sister and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil.
0: Couple of things before we wrap up on this episode. First of all, I want to thank everybody who has already voted in the 2015 Monster Rally Retro Awards or the rallies. Now we talked about this in the last episode of Monster Kid Radio. Bottom line, go to tinyurl.com slash rallies. That's R-A-L-L-I-E-S-2015 and you'll be taken to a ballot to help you vote and choose the best actor, actress, director, film and monster of classic monster movies from 1931, 41, and 51. There is a deadline of June 7th on this ballot, and I would really love to hear what you guys and y'all think about your favorite films and filmmakers of this era, and we'll announce the winners later this year, probably towards the end of June Once we get the completed ballots in. Now the ballots have already started coming in from some people and I'm a little surprised with how some things have shaken out a little bit. But uh, there are some other things that I'm really not surprised about at all. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and see what you think are some of the best movies from 1931, 41, and 51. Now, of course, you can get to the ballot from our website, which is monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. You have our contact information in there. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have any feedback for the show, want to send anything in, well, that's how you do it. And I know the email address works because we got an email from listener Jason. He writes, Derek, just wanted to say thanks for the fine show. Been following the Rondos since the beginning, and it's a big deal. Congrats, sir. You earned and deserved it. Jason, Thank you. And yeah, I mean, like I told him and like I tell everybody, I'm still in shock. And I know that sounds a little old at this point because I've been saying it ever since the Rondos were announced. But yeah, I am still in shock that Monster Kid Radio has won the Rondo Award for Best Multimedia and Podcast. That just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to his email. He continues, I've learned a lot from Monster Kid Radio and would just like to make some suggestions. Okay. Of course, I can't get enough Godzilla and Kaiju, but there's also lots of Japanese yokai and ghost movies you could cover. Unfortunately, the fun Hong Kong slash Chinese hopping vampire films fall outside of your cutoff date, but it may be worth bending the rule to cover one or two of these titles. I'd also like to hear about the Filipino vampire films from the 60s. Then, of course, there's stuff like Eyes Without a Face and other Euro weirdness that would be of interest to monster kids. I love Nashi Cast and Kaiju Cast, but don't be afraid to cover Nashi or Kaiju because your thoughts on those films are worth sharing, even if you're a novice. I guess I'm saying I love the show, but would love to see you venture beyond the UK, US, and Mexico. For some reason, I gravitated to foreign monster stuff as a kid. Just my two unsolicited cents. Take care, Jason. I actually wrote Jason back, but I wanted to talk about this here on the show as well. So, Jason, I hope you don't mind my reading the email on this episode. I don't know nearly as much about Kaiju Films or Nashi's career as the two podcasts you mentioned, KaijuCast or Cast, which are both great shows. That said, I love talking about them, and I do have a couple of Kaiju-themed shows coming up, a couple of movies that I'm going to talk about with some guests, somebody who's never been on the show before as well as a returning guest. I'm going to be talking about a couple of films with them, and I'm looking forward to that. As far as Paul Nashi goes, At one point, I was going to talk about a Paul Nashie film with Alan Trump, and we may still do that down the line. And, you know, you made a comment about how some of these movies, whether it's the Nashie films or the Chinese hopping vampire films, they fall outside of the cutoff date for Monster Kid Radio. I'd like to talk about that cutoff date. I view 1968 as kind of when horror cinema finally changed. Now, that was the year that Night of the Living Dead came out, and... While there were other movies like Psycho that were really kind of laying the groundwork for this huge paradigm shift, I feel like things like Psycho, the work of Hitchcock and a few other filmmakers, and then, of course, Night to the Living Dead, really kind of spun horror in a completely different direction. And there are plenty of podcasts out there that cover horror from the 70s, from the 80s, and so on. With Monster Kid Radio, I really like kind of playing pre-1968. That said, there are going to be some outliers. You know, The Monster Squad, Matinee, Edwood, movies that... Harken back to that era, the movies of Christopher R. Mim, and a few other monster movies here and there. I don't know much about the yokai stories at all, outside of what I've heard from Kyle and company over at the Kaiju Cast. I would be very interested in talking about some of those movies. The Chinese hopping vampire films, again, I know very little about, so I would love to watch some of those. And why not? I mean, a vampire is one of the classic monster types, so let's talk about it here on MKR. I was talking about Eyes Without a Face with my wife, so I would love to watch that one and talk about it here. On the show. And Paul Nashie was the Spanish Lon Chaney. At least that's what they called him at one point. I don't know what he felt about being called that, but why not? Let's talk about Paul Nashie here on the show. You can't talk about werewolves in cinema without mentioning what he did, right? Also, there's a chance that one of Paul Nashi's films from the 70s is going to be shown here locally, and of course, Monster Kid Radio will crash that, and I'll even introduce and host the show there. So we do have some outliers here and there, and I'm real curious to tackle some of these titles. I think Kyle over at the Kaiju cast has mentioned some of these movies, the yokai films and the ghost stories, the, the non-kaiju fantasy, sci-fi, and horror films from Japan. I need to see them. I would like to watch them. So, thank you for the suggestions. And yeah, I should definitely make that happen. Again, Jason emailed us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com.
3: You'll live through a thousand torments of sheer shock as vampires, demons, and ghouls meet the hideous wolf monster in Frankenstein's bloody terror. Frankenstein's bloody terror. It's a super shock spectacle of hideous horror in Chillerama 70 and gory color rated
2: in. We interrupt this program to bring you the following special announcement. The world's first horror head transplant has failed and five brain donors have died in the experiment. <laughs> now you can see it all at your local theater in Beast of Blood and on the same show... Curse of the Vampires, both brand new in gory color. You'll see a mad fiend transplant human heads in the cave of horrors and encounter stunning, screaming, shocking terror as it lives. A monster's head detached from its body, causing savage and inhuman destruction. More fantastic than science, more shocking than fantasy, the creature without a head, controlled by an insane artificial brain, Beast of Blood do Beast of Blood and Curse of the Vampires. Both rated GP.
0: Hey, back to the website. You know, you're going to find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over there. We have links to our Facebook group where you can join the group and chat it up with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes or even while you listen. If you're into multitasking. We have a link to what we call the Creature Breakdown. This was something that listener Ken Bloss put together where he took Creature from the Black Lagoon and broke down how often the creature itself appears on screen. He broke it down by minute, by second, and then calculated how often he was on screen percentage-wise as well as who played him, what kind of shot the creature appeared in, what he was doing in that shot. It's pretty impressive. It's a lot of work. So Ken sent that in a couple of weeks ago when we did our Creature from the Black Lagoon roundtable and talked about Creature here on the show. We have a link to our Patreon page where you can become a, a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show that way and get yourself a reward or two along the way, like maybe a Monster Kid Radio care package. And depending on how many patrons we get and how many milestones we'll hit, we'll start doing other spin-off type projects and shows here on Monster Kid Radio. Thank you to everybody who supported us that way. And of course, at the end of the month, we'll do a big special thanks section where we thank all the patrons here On an episode of the podcast, we have links to our Zazzle store and our Amazon shop where you can support Monster Kid Radio that way as well. Of course, the best way for you to support Monster Kid Radio is just listen and maybe tell a friend, maybe review it online somewhere. But really, the thing that I like best is just you listening to the show. So thank you for hanging out with me here on the podcast and chatting it up about the classics and sometimes not so classics every week. Next week here on Monster Kid Radio, you know that 1968 cutoff thing that I was talking about not too long ago? Well, we're going outside of that. We're going to 1971 because I have a scheduled Skype appointment with returning guest Chris McMillan from The Shadow over Portland. He was recently in Florida and visited some locations from the film Zat. Yeah. Yeah. Zat. We're going to talk about Zat next week here on the show with Chris, so that'll be fun to have him back on the show. He hasn't been here since we did The Creature from the Black Lagoon Roundtable back in episode 200, so it'll be good to catch up with him and hear about his experiences in Florida and just chat it up about this 1970s monster movie. In the meantime, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, the song "Absunami" that belongs to the band Kids. It's on their self-titled album, Kids. You can find them over at NecronomicKids.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you, and I'll talk to everybody next week.